Hello everyone, welcome back to Maritime Software Hub, the People Podcast. My name's Callum, I run the podcast, and I'm also the founder of a search and recruitment agency called Cordell Beaumont. In this episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Mike Powell, um, who's the Chief Business Officer of a company called Stratum 5. He's had a fascinating career and a really interesting journey across the commercial shipping and also the digital shipping space. So let's dive into the episode and meet Mike. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Callum. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No, my pleasure as well. So it's uh, obviously a real treat to have you on. I've been kind of we've spoken a few times at a few networking events over the years, and uh, I've always wanted to try and bring you on the show because you've got a very uh, varied background. You've got a wealth of knowledge, I'm sure, that you, our audience will find really valuable. So um, I've given a brief intro, but I th- obviously don't think I can do it justice. So would it be okay if you can share a little bit of an overview of your background and kind of what your day-to-day role is now? Yeah, sure. I mean, the potted history is like a lot of uh, seafarers of my generation. I went to sea at uh, 17 years old, so and then I ended up commanding ships, and I've been in shipping now for 43 years. Uh, and I think over, over that time, the industry's changed quite a lot. There's a lot more changes to come. I think this is now one of the most exciting times probably to be in shipping. Um, my day-to-day role uh, since I stepped away from leading oper- tanker operations has been in the kind of process re-engineering efficiency um, and, and just making shipping a, a better place. I think operations is about delivery, not drama. And uh, so I've spent a lot of time trying to deliver that. Um, and so now your day-to-day role, what, 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 where are you spending the majority of your time? Because I know you've got, you wear a few different hats and you've got a few projects on. I do, yeah. Well, it's about, I think it's partly because the shipping industry, despite being a fantastic industry to work in, it's also a very, uh, can be very volatile. So about uh, 12 years ago, I started up Cardinal Point Marine, which is essentially a company that markets my expertise uh, to, to those that are interested. Um, and I work with developing digital strategy and digital transformation, which is obviously a very hot topic at this point. Perhaps we'll touch on that a bit later. And I work on oil transportation projects too, uh, with, uh, with a, as an associate with Wood Mackenzie, for example, the names of those groups. I've also worked with EY and Bart Siller and a whole bunch of others uh, in, that, in that area. So yeah, so I think, um, I guess not having a proper job uh, I employed myself, and and uh, and that's that's been the way it's been for the last twelve years. I can relate. I think <laughs> last nearly five <laughs> years or so, it's it's yeah, having uh, your own businesses and different projects on the go, it keeps you very busy. But uh, you've got to keep structured somehow. But um, no, fantastic, good. And so Stratum Five in particular, so you're the chief business officer there at the moment. Um, tell us a bit about that, what the company does, and how you kind of uh, help your 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 customers essentially. Yeah, well, it's been it's a bit of a story behind uh, you know Stuart Nichols, who's the head of Stratum Five, and I go back some some way, uh, largely through the experience that I had in operations with companies like BP Shipping and and Glencore. Um, I've been banging the drum for software solutions to make operations better. As I, as I said, that's one of my one of my things, and he was one of the people that was was listening. And eventually, uh, I started working with Stuart and, and his team to develop a product called Podium 5, which is a data integration platform, software as a service data integration platform, weather 
and it's all about voyage optimization. Um, and but it it's it's about taking data out of the silos that they're in and displaying them on a on a on a almost like it's a bit it sounds a bit grand, but like pit, pit lane software that you see in Formula yeah. One, where they've got all the sensors on the car, but that gives you a picture of performance, uh, a, a granulated picture of performance. And that's really what Stratum 5 does. And it, it, it sort of, in some respects, reflects a wish list that I wrote in 2015, okay. I think. But, but digital, my, my digital journey goes back a wee bit further than that. I, I introduced electronic bills of lading to, to, to BP shipping. In, I was chairman of the management exchange committee for that. Um, we had uh, a very early version of just-in-time arrival in, in BP shipping as well. And, and I think that's, that's led to the, I think, identifying inefficiencies in, 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 in operations and trying to address them with software solutions has been a big part of what I've done over the last decade or so. Nice. That's fascinating. And, and prior to that, obviously, if we rewind a little bit, you, you obviously studied law. And, and what was your kind of initial kind of interest and, and passion for the, the legal side of shipping? Well, oh gosh, again, a little way, way back, that goes back a long way. So back in 1998, we introduced something called the ISM code, the International Safety Management Code. And this was um, a piece of regulation that required ship owners to have a certificate that said that they were competent to operate ships. Now, given that, you know, uh, prior to that, if I, if I turned around to you, and I hope someday you will have enough money to buy an aircraft, but... If I turned around to you and said, Callum, right, you, you're going to operate a passenger airline service and all you need is money to buy an aircraft and that makes you a, a, an airline operator, you'd turn around and say that was insane. Yeah. But that was the situation in shipping for, for centuries, is that all you needed to be a ship owner was enough money to buy a ship. Um, so back in 1998, as a consequence of some accidents where the shoreside management was criticized in the investigation, they introduced regulation that said, you need to have a certificate that says you are competent to operate ships. And there were a bunch of components in there that included audit trails and, and all sorts of things where the lawyers started saying, you can't do that, you know, you can't have audit trails, you can't have accountability, you can't have these things where you might br break your right to limit liability. So there was a lot of noise around this really significant change in shipping back then. And so I got engaged with a lot of arguments with lawyers um, because I was trying to implement those systems that they were telling ship owners they should be cautious about having. So that was, and that was really where, and, and that got to a point where a lawyer said to me, well, if, you, if you're so clever, then why don't you join us and, you know, and, and have, have a go? And that, so that's how I ended up uh, working with Stevenson yeah. Harwood um, and, 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 and really enjoyed the, the qualification as a lawyer, but ultimately was recruited back into an operations role with an oil and gas exploration company. Fantastic. So you you combine that experience of actual seafaring, uh, hands-on shipping experience with the maritime law uh, background, or, or were you on board vessels um, after you studied in in law? No, no, I'd, I'd left I'd left the sea in in a couple of years before okay. that. I think I you know, so I, I qualified in two thousand and two. Um, but just simply didn't stay in law. But when I looked at the, um, and again, part of that is volatility at the time uh, and, and, and changes in the way the legal services were provided in London. And yeah, just being offered an opportunity that just ticked all the boxes. 
but when you look at qualification as, as a lawyer and the skills that you acquire that way, you know, in terms of developing yourself, there's not much. There wasn't much risk of losing on that. I was going to. It was going to be good to be either be a lawyer in a law firm or outside a law firm was, you know, was fine. There was little difference between the two. And and what what, what when you were sailing on board vessels? I sorry to jump around a little bit between law and. and your, that's all right. I'm really interested. Uh, anyone that's been on board the vessels, I really like to hear their experiences and what technology perhaps was like back then and what it's like now. So, well, which type of vessels were you mainly on when you were sailing? So, I specialized in the carriage of uh, dangerous liquid chemicals. Yeah. That, that was my, and, and also, but not just those, but the so chemical tankers, but they carry almost anything that's in liquid form, so, uh, but including the dangerous yeah. stuff. So that was my that was my specialization for the most part, although I did take a two year sabbatical uh, delivering bananas across the Atlantic. So uh, good. And so that was uh, the, the, the seagoing stuff in terms of the seagoing tech. I mean, it's been there's been a lot of changes, but there's also been a lot of stuff that just remains the same. I was last at a ship launching in 10, 10 years ago, 2013. And I thought I would, with a couple of exceptions, I'd have been relatively comfortable driving that one myself. But, but uh, um, the, the really, it was the electronic chart displays that I really have to get used okay. to. But there's a lot of a lot of established tech on ships, and it's not broken, so why fix it? But I think what's happening now with the decarbonisation drive is new tech, new, particularly propulsion technology, uh, and then automated systems as well. So. There's a lot of change that's coming uh, necessarily because of those those agendas. Okay, no, fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing from the bit of insight into your back. I can tell you that we, you know, since I started, we have stopped loading animals two by two. Okay. So that's uh, <laughs> no problem, Noah. That's good. Okay, excellent. Well, as far as um, to the, the meat of kind of the, the main topic of this, this discussion today is, is going to be regarding around your your role where you were the head of vessel operations, as you said for for different companies, BP, and also at Glencore, you mentioned. So can you talk us a bit, a bit about how you transitioned into that position um, and what your kind of day-to-day, -day, uh, sort of, I guess, responsibilities and, and, and duties were? Yeah, I think the um, within within BP Shipping, where I first took on the, the commercial operations lead role, that was just part of the, uh, almost the sort of regular change of roles that big corporations tend to do. They they tend to move uh, managers and executives around it so they get a wider experience of the business. And and I, I got into the operations role through that. Um, you know, BP had uh, hundreds of cargoes on the water every day of the week. Uh, and the job of the uh, the Global Voyage Operations Manager, as I was there, was really to support the team that were delivering those voyages and make sure that they had the tools that they needed to deliver those voyages um, safely and commercially uh, successfully as well. So. The operations has, uh, you're usually dealing with what's in front of you. Uh, and and uh, so it's very much right, right at the minute. And then, it's, like I said, it's, it's about delivery, not drama. The majority of voyages go um, routinely. And your job is to make sure that that continues to be the case uh, to the best of your ability. And then, so that's, that's then as you walk around, uh, Glencore was a very different, I was recruited to join Glencore, uh, ST Shipping and Transport, very different environment, a full trading environment, the largest charter fleet, one of the largest charter fleets in the world, slightly different perspective. But um, I think wandering around um, 
listening to the conversations at the desk and I'm trying to give you an example of the kind of inefficiency sometimes that creeps into operations. You'd, you'd hear somebody on a telephone conversation to a captain saying, Captain, I've just sent you an email. And you just think, how many times is that conversation happening yeah. in the 5,000 voyages that I'm doing today? And then you realize that you ha actually what you have is a significant inefficiency. And then you've got people that are monitoring everything all the time. And they think, surely there's a way that we can just get to a more exception-based way of running this operation. Where And then other, the other things, we talk about 24-7 delivery. And 24-7 means, oh, I've got a mobile phone by my bed. So there were, there, there were, there were a lot of aspects of operations which had a, a legacy. They hadn't changed for a long yeah. time. And there were a lot of inefficiencies in, in, in there that you, where software and digital solutions can address or lift some of the burden of monitoring the operation and tell you when things are going in the wrong direction. You, you mentioned that kind of wish list of, of things you had back then. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Perhaps certain sort of uh, ways that technology could have helped, Paul? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the data integration, so being able to accommodate, uh, you, you, I can remember one of the companies I worked for, we had something like 13 software applications to deliver one decision. But you had to access these 13 different yeah. things to acc accumulate enough information to make one decision. And so, obviously, the consolidation of, of, of data in one place so that you could run rules over it and make that decision more efficiently, that was one of the big things. That was one of the big parts of, uh, of, of, of that transition. Being able to run rules over things so that they would alert you when things gone wrong rather than you have to physically go and check. And having sort of like rag codes, red, amber, green, for, for whether a voyage was, had a, you know, if you, if you had it on, a, on a good day, what you'd like to do as the, as the head of operations when you've got three, 300 cargoes on the water, how can you interact with those, all those voyages in a meaningful way? And that's by filtering them. So you could go in in the morning and see, oh, I'll, I'll take a look at the reds first. Are there any reds? Let's get into those. Are there any ambers? And the greens, provided they stay green, you just left them be, you know, so you wouldn't have to do anything about that. That was the sort of the vision. And, and, and then, then there's a lot of um, mandatory reporting, uh, various kinds, and that should be deep dealt with automatically. You shouldn't have to expend energy on that. There's no, val there's no value there. You just need to comply. Yeah. Uh, and so there's no, there's no value in compliance other than, you know, obviously not complying is a bad thing, but there isn't any, you can't add, you can't add any value to compliance other than making it as easy as possible for yeah. the operators. And do you think now there are solutions available that kind of cover off those uh, kind of wish, wish lists that you had earlier? Yeah, I think, I, th I think not, nobody's got the entire thing because I think that's, that's the nature of wish lists. You can't deliver it all, but I think the, the industry's, getting a lot closer. I think obviously, you know, I, I, I would say that Stratum 5 have got very close to it through through their development. But there are other other players out there who are um, have got great ideas about what they're doing. And, and I think one of the things um, where we where they struggle in shipping is getting the space to grow because at the at the end of the day the addressable market in shipping is actually very, very small. You're only talking about whatever, sixty, seventy thousand trading yeah. units. And you quite often find software providers who've got 400 ships or, you know, but I think to get the scale needed to survive, you're going to need to do a lot better than that. So you need 
thousands of ships rather than just hundreds. I briefly interrupt this episode to talk to you about our brand new online course, which is the Introduction to Commercial Shipping. I'm really excited to deliver this. Um, essentially, since kind of growing up in my teens and, and my early 20s, I've always worked and been surrounded by the, the sale and purchase and, and the shipbroking industry in particular. Um, so for the last 20 plus years, I've kind of harvested some real, um, I guess, insights and, and, and passion for the commercial shipping space. So the course is perfect for anybody that's either working in shipping, um, perhaps is studying shipping or wants to learn the basic fundamental and aspects of the commercial shipping space. Um, this is ideal because you can log on. It's completely on demand. You just start uh, learning. It automatically saves your progress so you can log in and log out. Uh, there's multiple choice quizzes uh, after each chapter. So on the course, you'll learn about the overall commercial shipping markets, looking at dry cargo, tankers, containers, the gas markets. Um, we'll look at the, the different dimensions and sizes and categories of, of vessels. We'll talk about who are the main importers and exporters of, of certain kind of commodities across the world. Um, we'll look at the role of a ship owner and a ship broker, what they do day to day, how their company is structured go through what a sale and purchase broker does, what a chartering ship broker does. We look at um, key shipping contracts, including the charter parties themselves, uh, some of the key clauses that are uh, contained in there. Uh, we look at the, the sale and purchase contracts, so the NSF forms, the memorandum of associations, those sort of things to give you a good uh, rounded overview of the commercial shipping space. So uh, for more information, please do message um, info at cordellbeaumont.com or send me a message on online and I'll be delighted to share it with you. Thank you. And, and you touched upon some, some obviously high level challenges of, of, of that role when you're in a senior vessel operations position. Are there any other, any other kind of key challenges that you can think of just in case anybody that's listening is, is perhaps interested in a career in that space, or, or maybe they are, maybe they talk day to day with operations teams and, and they're selling a digital solution so they can kind of understand the nuances of, of, of the role a little bit, little bit better. Well, I think op operations, the great thing about operations is it's the engine room of the of, of, of the of the of the corporation. It delivers the voyages that have been yeah. sold, and it can and it, and it also has the potential to kill the anticipated margin of, of that 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 somebody who sold that voyage was 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 expecting. So, it really is really the engine room of it all, and 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 leads to the uh, the recovery of the you know the revenue, the freight revenue, and and all, all the other aspects of that. So the difficulty perhaps with operations is sometimes getting your head out of, out of the day-to-day -day and thinking strategically and, and you know, because you're, you're constantly dealing with what's in front of you and there's a constant flow of that. So if the adoption of digital solutions allows people a little bit more space to take a more uh, strategic view of what they're doing, then it will have achieved something. But the, but our operations is just so much fun because you just never know what the world is going to throw at you next. Yeah. So when I say fun, it can be challenging as well. But you just don't know what's coming around the corner. If you think about, you know, February twenty second, uh, February sorry, February of twenty twenty two, when 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 Russia invaded Ukraine, you know, and every, all the consequences of that. Somebody can throw in a, an event like that at you, and you have to start scrambling to to cope with it. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a, it's so that's if you don't like that environment where you're constantly challenged, 
then operations may not be for you. Yeah, and I, I saw, I guess, more from the shipbroking operations side um, in my time at Clarkson's and other companies where the operation teams are, you're very much on call kind of 24-7 and it, it sounds like a, yeah, weekends, evenings, that type of thing. Anything can happen. So international, you need to be contactable. Um, so I do think it's yeah, a tough role, I think, that can take a toll on you over the years. Well, I think I think you raise I think you raise a really good point there because that culture, that twenty four seven culture, uh, excludes a lot of people from the industry, and people who could actually do the industry some good. And of course, a lot of people took pride on that twenty four seven culture, or sleeping under their desks, or you know, uh, under the sort of work hard, play hard mentality, which is which is fine. However, that does exclude a lot of good people from what we're doing. So if the digitalization, the, the technology transformation, if that works, I think the industry will be a lot more accessible because in an environment where you, you don't have to work like that, then, then it becomes more appealing. I think there's a, this is true of seagoing as well. The, 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 the British, the, the UK dominated shipping for decades, centuries. And a lot of our systems have been adopted by, uh, by, by other countries and other flags. But there's a question around the culture. And the culture was around you fit or you fail. Okay. And so, so people used to talk to me about the romance of the sea and you've got salt in your blood. And my traditional answer to that was no. Seafarers are beaten into submission until they're fit for nothing else. And that's so, 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 so that sounds a bit brutal, but actually the training in some respects is brutal. It didn't accommodate a range of individuals. It meant you had, if you were going to succeed at, uh, at sea, then you fitted this, you fit that box. And if you didn't fit, then you failed. And I think to encourage diversity, things need to change. And, and I think they are changing for the better. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And um, I mean, I guess some people might perceive the operations team is not a cost center, certainly, because as you say, everything needs to be kind of adhered to that's been agreed for in a, in a charter party or, 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 or those type of things. So I guess it's changing that perspective from it, maybe if you look at the role of a chartering team or a broking team, they're more the, the, the money makers, essentially, and the operations team is slightly different, perhaps. And, and maybe they need to change the perspective of, of, of the different teams. I'm not sure that might entice more people into those sort of roles. Well, no, no, again, another really good point. And certainly in my time, I have fought within the sort of benchmarking exercises that big companies take to get, op to get operations the recognition that I believe it deserves. Because there is, I think there's an expression, I may be quoting this incorrectly, but it's operations eat strategy for breakfast. So, and, and, and so it is, it is, it can kill. If you don't, if you don't have a good operation, operating environment, then the profit that you anticipated, they can spend that in no time at all. Uh, you know, so if you work, and if your voyages are on fine margins, you know, operations can kill that. Yeah, and I think the operations role can sometimes be perceived as a stepping stone role. So if you want to be a charter, let's say one day, you want to learn the operations of how to, how to fix what goes on behind after a fixture, same in broking, and then you eventually want to jump over to, to be a broker or a charter perhaps. So. I think that should be compulsory. Yeah, you, you do. 
<laughs> I think it's, I think every childress should spend some time in operation. Okay, yeah. Well, we used to do it obviously on the, on the broking side, and it gives them a great perspective of, of what the day in day out and interacting with different teams within ship owners and chancellors and stuff. So, uh, I think it's an interesting space. Very interesting. Um, we used to spend a lot of time recruiting vessel operators and post fixture analysts and claims analysts, that type of thing. It's a really kind of interesting market if, if you're in the right type of mindset and, you, and you, yeah, you're interested in that sort of way. As, as an operations lead, I think your, your wish is that the charters have the attention to detail that operators have, because sometimes they're there, and I don't wish to denigrate charters in general, but they're the six gun shooters and they'll give you an as they'll give you an as per last done and then you've got to jump find out what the hell that was and and so in terms of uh sort of charter origination through to operation and recovery if the charters if the charters spend that little bit of extra time crafting the voyage accurately then it makes operations much more simple to deliver the voyage and then it makes the recovery the claims team are normally at the back end of where where what I used to call crap catcher occurs. So there, there they are. They're, 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 working at, they're working at the end of this process line. And normally all the, all the crap and all the emissions that went on end up in, on their desk. And so if, you're, if your claims team is having a pretty straightforward day, then everybody else has done their job quite well because that's actually where the money is. You know, so when the, the charterer rings the bell and they've, just, they've done the deal, you know, uh, and then, of course, that deal is not done until the money is in the bank. And so you really need to look at your recovery processes because that's the real measure of your success as a, as, as a trading operation. Okay. If I was, it's a bit off topic. If I was to start up, a, let's say, my own maritime software company and I wanted to try and serve a need to make vessel operators and operations teams' lives so much better and easier, what do you think would be the key things that my solution should focus on or offer? Ooh, ooh. Well, I think I think the the end to end solution must have um, an analytics component to start with. So, so if you're if you're trading, if you're freight trading, you need you need to identify those opportunities. Uh, and and I think what what the technology can do is give you that first mover advantage more so than you know every broker puts their position lists out every day and here's your cargo lists and everybody's looking at that at the same time but if you can get some insight some insight into that fleet positioning that allows you so an analytical component yeah. then uh, the contract generation so rather to avoid that so your charter parties are are, are, are more sound and then that 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 goes into voyage instruction so creating that voyage that's going to be communicate communicated to the captain and a lot of that can be automated right to the point where you've got the voyage instruction to this ship then of course you've gone onto the ship so now you need to monitor the asset yeah. what's it's doing where it's doing it in what environment is it doing it and then the, so the, the actual execution of the voyage then it's a lot of stuff that you, a lot of data that you can use um, that makes sure that that's actually happening and then of course uh, the the recovery portion uh, is then that much easier because you get you get to send out your invoices on the basis but because you you don't want invoices to be disputed you want them settled yeah. And, and yeah so I think the whole accuracy of the process and the predictiveness that's what it needs to do yeah no and I think I break those break the 
Yeah, sorry. I, don't know, I mean, they're definitely obviously. I don't meant, tend to mention too many businesses on on the platform, apart from the one I'm speaking about. But normally, I mean, you've got obviously companies like C, the Signal Group, AXS, like Vesson, and they they obviously have their platforms with multi modules about insights and fixtures and things. And then you get the more obviously the vessel performance focused solutions. Um, do you think one day there'll be one company that just combines the two? And, and, and there probably obviously are at the moment, but uh, one that really is very granular on things like emissions, engine monitoring solutions, as well as the pre and post fixture stuff. I think I think these days, if you want to get best of breed, you, then you need you need an API environment that you connect with. I don't I don't think there's anybody out there who would claim to be best of breed in all areas. Okay. And of course, depending on it's, it depends there. Are, essentially two process lines that you that you need to operate in one is the um the commercial process line that's like, like where a vason for example o- operates other brands are available obviously um but that's so they get there in the commercial process line and then you've got the technical process line technical operation so and the two things they're related but they they're different specializations so from a commercial process line you want the voyage to be executed at 12.8 knots. So provided it happens at 12.8 knots, you're done. The technical process line will see how efficiently that 12.8 knots was delivered in terms of its optimization for emissions and, and all of those things. Yeah. So, it's a, it, 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 so they are related activities, but they're not voyage delivered. The, the commercial voyage is not necessarily the same as the, although they're parallel, obviously, the technical voyage, the technical focus is different. And one of the things we wanted to do with uh, with Podium was that because when you when you separate those process lines, there's a chance of a disconnect between the people that are delivering those two things. But we wanted uh, those two lines to be operating from the same pool of data, so there was no dispute uh, between because you know, my system says this, your system says yeah. that. Now we've got to spend time reconciling the two. And, and that's, again, just a wasted effort. Yeah, and that's how we worked. We were exactly the same. We split our kind of market mapping and our, our services into the commercial maritime software space and the technical maritime software space. And and often on the technical side, you're, you're dealing with people from from the seafaring background and marine engineers, that type of thing. They have a, a different understanding of the vessel, obviously, to the, the ex-charterers or brokers or analysts, that type of thing. So um, we do the same on our side. And I think one of the things we really need to pay attention to is about the load on the seafarer. Uh, and I don't think we always talk enough about that because uh, a lot of the data granularity is delivered by somebody on a ship running around with a pencil and a pa- piece of paper and filling in an Excel spreadsheet, for example. So I think we need to constantly think about not, not, not only are we serving our own requirement, whether it be, like I said, emissions or whatever, but what is the impact on the ship? Because I suspect there are still, until we get to a more sensor-driven environment where we're getting data, streaming data or streaming telemetry off the ships, that data requirement is going to be fulfilled by some poor yeah. bugger on a ship, excuse me for saying that, uh, running around uh, with, a, with a pencil and a dipstick. Yeah, well, I really like um, shipping systems. They've got a really interesting initiative whereby they have a, a captain kind of training course that they they embed into their business. So I think if they can get like a dedicated internal person that's predominantly from the shore base first, and then goes on, out on board vessels and things to try and be that digital point of contact uh, predominantly, um, that could be a, a huge 
another idea, another sort of solution. Let me just turn it off. Yeah, I think we we just want it's it's a little bit like you want the operations team to uh, to focus on the things that matter rather than focus on everything. Yeah. And again, what, you know, what is it you want the, the ship's team to deliver for you? You want you want them to deliver a great voyage. It's a bit dark. You're, you're disappearing. <laughs> it's like the moody. Well, I spent I spent a lot of my life in the yeah. dark, but that's okay. No, good. Well, no, I appreciate that. I know we just. Uh, it's like interesting to see, I think, what's happening in the market nowadays to compare to what it was like before uh, the last 10, 15 years or so. So, um, I mean, talking again about your, your previous experience and what you've done in, on, the, on the side throughout your career, you, you've obviously spent some time as, as a firefighter, I saw. Um, yeah, not a lot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that from, from obviously your marine background as well, kind of, is it sort of stem off that or what sort of spurred that on? It's, it's, it's related. It's, it's, I think... Um, it's almost a midlife crisis thing, and not a lot of people ask me about it, but okay. I'm happy to talk <laughs> about it. Um, it was it was one of those things where you know a person of a certain age starts thinking, oh, there's something missing from my life, and I was thinking about maybe a motorbike or, yeah. or whatever. And the way it actually turned out was I, I I showed up at a school fete that one of my daughter's school fates, and the fire engine was there, and there's kids crawling all over the fire engine. And I just got to chatting to one of the firefighters. And then I found out that the fire engine in the village that I lived was staffed by, they were called part-time retained firefighters. So not entirely volunteer, but part-time retained. And, 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 and there, were, there was not a single whole-time firefighter in the village. It was about 15 people who kept the, the fire engine available 24-7. And, and this guy said to me, he said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm ex-merchant Navy. And I thought, oh, you've done a bit of firefighting, have you? Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of time in breathing apparatus for chemical tankers. And he said, why don't you become, why don't you join us as a firefighter then? And so I'm standing there in this school field thinking, motorcycle, fire engine, motorcycle, fire engine, motorcycle, fire engine. And so I signed up and I spent five years in the fire service. I think perhaps I started driving a desk a little bit too early, but I had a, I had a great time uh, working with a great team of people. Um, and, and that was one of the big learnings from that actually was um, that from that period it was I'd been working on my own I'd been a sort of uh, for quite a lot uh, been in charge of a team lead and and all the rest of it and it's almost like the loneliness of command and sometimes it's kind of refreshing to know to get back into an environment where you rely on yeah. others uh, to because uh, you know you can't fight a fire well you can try but you know put it running a, a, a firefighting operation is very much a team operate operation and you do have to trust because you are when you when you enter a burning building with 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 somebody else in breathing apparatus, you know you are backing each yeah. other up to the max. So that was kind of a, a good bit. But essentially, I was servicing a midlife crisis, but they're ho in a, hopefully in a, a very positive, positive way. way. Yeah, <laughs> mine hasn't been in this quite so positive and often quite expensive. So, but no, it's really really impressive. Well, my other one, my other my other one involved a V eight. Uh, but anyway, so that was. Uh, I don't think you should just have one. No. Uh, don't restrict yourself to one crisis. Have I, a few. Yeah, it's, it's okay. I agree. I think it's probably due my second or third soon. Um, but no, thank <laughs> you so much. I, I really appreciate you sharing all your insights. Um, any other hobbies that we haven't talked about? Anything else people might not know about you before we let you go? Well, I'm a, I'm a sort of, yeah, I think my, some of my hobbies involve failures. Uh, I'm a failed kite surfer. I didn't do very well at that. Um, these days, I, I do spend, I spend a lot of time walking in, my, I, I always think about, um, so I, I come. I, I grew up in the in the Welsh valleys. I've always had a, 
always enjoyed walking, hill walking and, and mountains. And so and my, happily, my partner enjoys that too. And then I've also enjoyed water sports. So, uh, but these days they're more, uh, slightly more sedate than trying to kite surf. Yeah. I like a bit of stand-up paddleboarding and stuff like that. And, uh, so yeah, bit of bit of bit of mountains and sea are really the the, the, the things that I think that's where I started and it's where I'm sort of ending too. So. Fantastic. And have you? Not that I'm going anywhere. So. Did, did you meet um, Alex, uh, the one of the f co-founders of Sirocco, who's the the former? Um, well, he is the current kite surfing world champion. He was at one of the events recently. He's a really really interesting guy. No, I didn't. I didn't meet him, but I probably would have. I spent most of my time with salt water streaming yeah. out of my various orifices because I just did the, the whole Superman thing. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I tried quite quite hard, but I just launched myself off the board, face first into the water, and be dragged by this kite for some distance, and end up being sort of falling out as a drowning rat. Yeah. But it was good fun to try. But I think the, the, the one of the difficulties with it, I think, at least when I came back to the UK. Was you have to you you in order you need to practice to be good clearly, and in order to practice you need to be able to drop everything when you know when surfs up you know you've got to go, and and I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't yeah. do that so I couldn't spend the time I needed, uh, yeah so uh, yeah but I think that's probably a feeble excuse but that is my excuse. No, excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, Good. And, and in case uh, anybody wants to reach out to you to learn a bit more about what we've discussed today or, or anything in general, what's the best way for them to contact you? I think it's always good. LinkedIn's great. So I'm mean, always available on LinkedIn. And uh, so fair, relatively easy to find, I think. And there's a website for Cardinal Point Marine, uh, which again, that gives you some contact details there. Or just mike at cp.marine.co.uk. And there you go. That's it. Excellent. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Mike, and, and really, uh, really interesting to hear your background and, and the experiences you've had. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Callum. Having said that, I think I should retire now. But anyway, <laughs> I'm about the whole Bohemian Rhapsody theme we got going on here. But uh, no, cool. All right, Mike. Nice to speak to you again. Fantastic. Thank thanks very much, Callum. All the best. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maritime Software Hub. I've really enjoyed my conversation with Mike. Um, what an interesting guy! Fantastic kind of career and, and, and different sort of aspects of the commercial and technical shipping kind of um role he's played over his his career um also incredibly nice guy to be honest just he's very very yeah uh easy to talk to easy to get on with and and again very knowledgeable so a uh, huge thank you to him for his time and, and sharing his uh experiences um please do if you haven't already subscribed to our youtube channel it's hugely appreciated helps us with our audience exposure uh, and also support and, and kind of follow or like our 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 podcast on different channels but thank you again for listening and we'll speak again soon